The scripture reading for this morning is from Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 33, and verses 49 through 67. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, you will be free, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water to drink from your jar.' She said, "'Drink, my lord.' And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand her hand, and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew all, for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. 
Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. And then in the intervening passage, he repeats everything that just happened. There's a reason for that. We'll come to it in the sermon, but I'm not going to read it all right now. Let's jump down to verse 49. Now then, this is the servant speaking. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servants heard their words, He bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and their nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beher Lahoi Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to, me- to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as I said last week, we're winding down our study of Abraham. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 23, which was the account of Sarah's death. This week, we look at the finding of a wife for Sarah and Abraham's promised son, Isaac, the one through whom God's promise would continue. And then next week, we finish up our series looking at Genesis chapter 25 and the death of Abraham. Now, the importance of finding a wife for Isaac is clear in this text from the outset. We read, she must not be from among the Canaanites. God 
made that clear. Abraham knew she must not be from this place, from the land of Canaan. She must not be a Canaanite. Uh, it appears that she also needed to come from Abraham's homeland because that's where Abraham sent his servant. Um, in other words, she can't just be any old gal from anywhere. She had too important a role to play in the continuation of the promise of God. That fact is also made clear at the end. When, when Isaac took Rebekah into his mother's tent, into Sarah's tent, he was doing more than just taking Rebekah as his wife. He was signaling that Rebekah is now the new matriarch of the family. Abraham is about to die. Sarah has died. Isaac and Rebekah are the new Abraham and Sarah. It was very important that she be the right woman for Isaac. So, so the need to find the right kind of wife was abundantly clear. What wasn't at all clear was who precisely she would be. This passage is about discerning how God is providing that which is needed for the fulfillment of his promise. So this is about. This is about discerning how God is providing. As, as we move forward, as Abraham sending his servant, moving forward in the fulfillment of the promise, how is it that we're going to discern how it is that God is providing for that promise to be fulfilled? That's what's happening here. And if there's a word that gets us close to what's happening here, it's the word providence. Providence. The Heidelberg Catechism defines providence in a beautiful way. The Heidelberg Catechism defines providence as the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful years and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance but from his fatherly hand. As Christians, we can rest in the fact that God is in control, that nothing happens apart from his will, and that he will provide for his children that which is best. He will always give us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. Always. He will always give us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. That's confidence in God's providence. Now, the question is, how do you discern God's providence? Now, one theologian has said that God's providence is like a Hebrew word. It's best read backwards. Now, a Hebrew-speaking person might disagree, right? Hebrew-speaking person, you guys are the ones that read words backwards. But we read Hebrew words from right to left, not Left to right. Well, anyone who reads Hebrew reads it from right to left. But that's backwards for us. And often that's, in fact, the best way to read God's providence. We discern it best as we look back on what he has done, on the ways in which he has provided for us. Sometimes we can read that word providence backwards very quickly. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to trace the rainbow through the rain, to see the ways in which God has kept his promise, to, to understand and praise God for his providential care of us. But that's not what's happening in this text. 
Abraham and his servant are not reading God's providence backwards, at least not entirely. They're reading God's providence forward in the sense that they're moving, seeking to see how God is going to provide, how he is going to fulfill his promise as they are making their way to go. As they're going, you've got to find a wife. It's not going to be here. We've got to go. God had made a promise to Abraham and had provided a son through whom the promise would continue. His son now needs a wife. Abraham knows that God is going to keep his promise, and he just doesn't know how, other than the fact that it won't be where he's at. And Abraham doesn't just sit around and wait. Right? Abraham doesn't have the benefit that Isaac had at the end. Wouldn't that be great if God's will were always like that? whether it's finding a spouse or finding a job or whatever the case may be. I was out in the field meditating and I I lifted up my eyes and behold, (laughs) Isaac had that benefit. There was a lot that had to go on before that, behind the scenes. Our lives are much more like that of Abraham and the servants than they are like Isaac. So what do we learn from this passage? We learn from this passage, I think, Seven principles, I'm going to hit them all quick. Seven-point sermon, no. It'll be quick, I promise. We're going to touch on them, and and I I hope that you'll you'll want to dig deeper on these things. But, But seven principles from this text that I think help us to read God's providence forward. First, remember God's promises. Second, obey what God has already revealed. Third, trust God's guidance. Fourth, employ godly wisdom. Fifth, rehearse God's providences. Sixth, rest in God's steadfast love. And then seventh, go, go. That's where we're headed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do have a, 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 there's so much, so many wonderful things from this story. Um, and Lord, we marvel at it. We marvel at the way in which you provided uh, for your saints throughout history. Um, Lord, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination for us to put ourselves in the place of, of Abraham and, and Isaac and Sarah's now gone and how will the promise continue without a wife for Isaac and, and then Lord, seeing the way in which you provided. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take heart as we find ourselves often wondering What should our next step be? How will we know what it is, O God, that you're calling us to do? Lord, there are principles here that will help us to that end, but ultimately, Lord, it's not going to be principles. It's going to be your spirit at work in us as we trust you to do the work that you do to guide and protect your children always. So it's in the confidence of who you are and your love for your people that we ask for your help now as we look at this text, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, remember God's promises. Abraham does that. Take a look at verse 7. Verse 7, as he's giving instructions to the servant, he says in verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He is recounting for himself. He's remembering for him. He's, He's kind of remembering in front of his servant this promise that God had made to him. It's the promise that God first made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 when God said to Abraham these very same words. In order for Abraham to inhabit the promise, to to experience God's promise being fulfilled in his life, he had to go. 
He had to leave his homeland. He had to leave all that brought uh, stability in his life. He had to leave the people he knew to go to a land that he did not know. And God's promise would be foundational for all his future decisions, like the one we're looking at here. How has God made promises to you? Into what promises has God called you to go? He probably hasn't called you with the same kind of specificity with which he called Abraham. And even with Abraham, there wasn't a ton of specificity. But Abraham knew he needed to find a wife for Isaac and that God would provide a wife for Isaac so that the promise could continue. He probably has not promised you, if you're single, that you will get married. He probably hasn't promised you, if you are looking for a job or looking for a different job, that you will find that other job. He probably hasn't promised you perfect health all your days or wealth and prosperity. These aren't things that God tends to, there may be very rare exceptions, but tends to promise to his people. What he has promised is that he has good works for you to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, it's the Greek word poema, work of art. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're, we're called to move into good works, whatever they may be. If you're single and you're moving toward looking for a spouse, God may provide a spouse for you. He may not provide a spouse for you. But whether you end up married or not married, there are good works to which God is calling you. That you can be sure of. Whether you're looking for a different job or your first job after college, whatever that job may be, and you may have any number of options before you, in that job, God has good works for you to do. If you are newly retired and you're looking for ways to serve the Lord with the time that you have on your hands, although every retired person I talk to tells me they have less time than they had when they were working, but that's maybe another sermon. But as you, as you think about transitioning out of, you know, work, whatever that work was, into something else, God has good work for you there in this next stage of, stage of your life. He's promised that to you. If you are a Christian, you are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus to do works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. There's a promise that you can stand upon, that you can rest upon as you move forward, and that you need to remember because you will find yourself in a job that you'd rather not have or with time on your hands you don't know what to do with or time occupied with things that you'd rather not be doing. And in all those things, our sovereign God, whose providence toward his children is always gracious and good, has work for you to do. Work that he created you to do from before the foundation of the world because you are his workmanship. No matter what, he has good works for you to do. So remember God's promise as you move forward in faith. Whatever comes this afternoon, tomorrow, the day after that, years down the road, know for certain that as a child of God, God has good work for you to do. Second, obey what God has already revealed. Now, from verses two through four, it's clear that Isaac is not gonna have a wife from Canaan. I mean, Abraham says that to his servant. You know, make, take this, 
this vow, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord that you will not take a wife from my son, from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites. Um, go back to my homeland instead. So he, he knew that much needed to be obeyed. If Abraham was going to move forward in faith, obedience to God's revealed will would be required. And, and we, as we move forward, seeking to discern what God is doing in our lives, how he is providing for us, move forward, live this day, tomorrow, and the next day, knowing that there are things that God has revealed to us concerning his will that we must obey. No matter what the arena is, whether it's, again, married, not married, the job you want, a job you don't want, the school you wanted to get into, or some other school, no matter what the case may be, there are certain things that God has said to us that we must not do, and certain things that we must do. If, if you're a single Christian and you're looking for a spouse, it's clear from Scripture, you must marry a Christian. If you are looking for a job, first job or new job, it's clear that we are not to do work that is immoral. There are things that we know we must not do. There are things that we know that we must do. Whatever the arena that God has us in, 1 Corinthians 10.31 applies. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is a command that we're called to obey. As we seek to discern what God's will may be in the future, we know God's will now concerning everything in the future. We know what he expects of us, what he requires of us from Micah 6, 8, that we must do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. That's to happen all the time, no matter what we're up to. Everything we do, we're to do rejoicing and praying at all times and, and giving thanks, as 1 Thessalonians 5. These things and others are things that God has revealed to us. So as we move forward, because we're, we're all moving forward, Stuff's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. We can't just sit around and, and think that life is about treading water until something magic happens. We're all moving forward. Like Abraham sending his servant, we all need to be proactively moving forward. As we do so, seeking to discern how God is providing and showing us the, the specific things that he's calling us into, things that we don't know ahead of time, there are things that we do know now. And they are things that are... Um, summarized in the Ten Commandments, things that are unpacked for us throughout the scriptures concerning his revealed will. Remember God's promise, obey what he has already commanded. Third, trust God's guidance. I, I love just how honest this passage is. I mean, just go, go back and look with me again at it. Verse five, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And then jump down to the end of verse 7. After Abraham has reiterated the promise, at the end of verse 7, he says, He will send, God will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. <laughs> Only you must not take my son back there. In other words, Abraham knew that God was going to provide a wife somehow for his son Isaac. It wouldn't be from Canaan. He's sending his servant back to his own people. He's confident that God will provide a wife for Isaac from there. He's calling on his servant to trust God's guidance in this. And yet there's not complete 
certainty is there. I, I summarize this trusting of God's guidance as having confidence without clarity. Confidence without clarity. Abraham had confidence in God. He didn't have a whole lot of clarity. And in the same way, we are able as God's children to have a great deal of confidence in God and his provision, but we shouldn't expect a great deal of clarity. We want that clarity. We, we want to know what's referred to as God's will of decree. God's will of decree is, well, think about Psalm 139. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, uh, all the days that were written for me um, were written before one of them came to be. Right? Um, God has a specific plan for your life. He does. It's hidden most of the time. We, we want to know God's will of decree. He doesn't usually give his children uh, a, a revelation concerning his will of decree. He calls us to trust him. To, to trust his providence, to see that he is, in fact, a good and gracious God, to trust that he will see to it, that this all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God will, in fact, guide our steps. That's what's happening in Psalm 139, that, that beautiful psalm. Go back and read it. At the end of Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me or guide me in the way everlasting. Those are the last two verses of the psalm. Everything prior to that was David re remembering, recounting, God's omniscience, this God is all-knowing. God's omnipresence, this God is everywhere present. This God's omnipotent, this God is all-powerful. In light of that, I'm gonna trust you to guide me in the way that I should go. We have that same God as our God. When Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, we are trusting in the same God that Abraham trusted in, that Isaac trusted in, that, that David trusted in. This God who's proven faithful to his people time after time after time is the God who says to you and to me, trust in me with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge me, and God says, I will make your path straight. Remember God's promise, obey what he has already revealed, trust God's guidance, and then fourth, employ godly wisdom. Now, this is, the, this is kind of where the drama of the text takes place. So let's take a look at verses 10 through 14. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say... Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one. Now, you may read this passage and think, wow, that sounds like Gideon. Sounds like a fleece, right? Let the garment of clothing be either wet or dry. This servant is fleecing the Lord. 
looking for a sign from heaven? I don't think so. I think this is wisdom being employed. Think about what had to happen. The servant was going to Abraham's homeland to find a wife. And so he goes to the well in the evening because that's when the women will be there. The servant also knows that this woman needs to be a very special kind of woman. Much is going to be asked of her. She's going to need to be a woman who is not averse to hard work. She's going to be a woman, she's going to have to be a woman who um, is kind. She's going to have to be a woman who is a woman of character. She'd need to be a woman who would be sacrificial. I mean, all these things that, as you, as you know, the servant must have been thinking about this woman, that's the kind of woman he asked that God would reveal to him. Everything that characterized Rebecca was exactly the kind of woman that Isaac would need to have. In other words, the servant, think about what he did not do. Lord, let there be a lightning bolt that comes down and strikes but doesn't kill the woman. Right? I mean, just, he doesn't throw out some crazy test. The, the very things that, that ought to characterize the kind of wife that would be the matriarch of the family are the very things that were evidenced by Rebecca in this passage. So look at verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, when she had finished giving him a drink, no, let's go back to 18. She said, drink, my Lord, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar in the trough, etc. You know the rest of the story. Now, Dale Ralph Davis um, gives us a little picture of just how hard Rebecca had to work to pull this off. He points out that the average camel drinks 25 gallons of water to replenish itself. Uh, a typical water jar, like Rebecca would have been carrying, uh, could contain about three gallons of water. So you figure a three-gallon jar, and there were 10 camels, we know that from verse 10, at 25 gallons per camel meant that she was running to and from, you know, from the well to the trough and back, 80 to 100 times. This is a woman who is exceptionally kind, exceptionally generous, exceptionally sacrificial, and exceptionally hardworking. The kind of woman that the servant knew would be needed. The kind of character that the servant knew would be necessary to be the new matriarch of God's people in the land of promise. Now, quick aside for those of you who are single and who are looking for a spouse, right? What did we learn from this? The text tells us that she was beautiful. Let me remind you that we shouldn't think that the ancient Near East definition of beautiful is the same as Western America's, you know, hypersexualized, um, you know, terrible definition of what makes for beauty. But the text still does say she was beautiful. She was Attractive, whatever that meant in ancient Near Eastern culture. So that's not inconsequential. But what matters? Character. What kind of spouse are you looking for? What matters most to you? Be looking for a person of character. And as you're looking for that person of character, 
How about you yourself become the kind of spouse that you're looking for? You yourself be a person of godly character. But coming back to wisdom, how do we find and employ godly wisdom? Prayer. Prayer. God says in James chapter 1, he will give wisdom to those who ask. Ask for wisdom. There's a difference between asking God to give you wisdom to make good decisions. There's a difference between that and saying, God, show me, is, show me what it is that you want me to do. Show, show me exactly what it is that you want me to do. That, you don't need wisdom for that. And God says, uh-uh. Ask me for wisdom so that you can be the kind of person that makes good decisions. And because I'm a sovereign God and gracious and in control of all things and love you, I will make sure that what you do is in accord with my will. My providence will keep flowing towards you. How about you work on wisdom and not, you know, treat me like, you know, a vending machine? Prayer. Scripture. I mean, Proverbs is a a great book to go to for wisdom, of course, other places as well. Counsel of other people. Seek the counsel of godly Christians. I've, I've said to a number of you, and I'll, I'll keep saying it, I believe the, the greatest source of untapped wealth in this congregation is the wisdom of the older generations. And, and too many of us don't think that we have wisdom to give, but we do. And I don't mean you hit some magic age where suddenly you have wisdom to give. You can be in your... 20s and have life wisdom that can be shared with the next generation and with your peers. You can be in your 30s. Whatever age you are, be thinking about the next generation and asking God, God, what have I learned in my life so far? What lessons have I taken to heart? How have I been able to see your providence read backwards and, and begun to grow in my ability to read your providence moving forward? And how can I pour that into the generations to come? I think especially for those of us who have lived longer there is more wisdom contained in our hearts than we realize. And there's a younger generation around us here at Grace Church that hungers for it. Prayer, scripture, counsel of others. Remember God's promise. Obey what he has already revealed. Trust God's guidance. Employ godly wisdom. Fifth, rehearse God's providences. Now that section that I didn't read, I'm not going to read it now. But let me just tell you what's happening there is... The servant is just giving the blow-by-blow to Rebecca's household. He's rehearsing to them God's providence. The servant saw how God had provided, and he was telling them the story. We need to be doing that as well. We just talked about this at our, uh, our first Friday Parents Fellowship this past Friday night, the need to establish milestones in our life so that we can remember God's goodness toward us. We can, we can plant a flag. We can develop traditions. We can, we can do whatever we need to do so that as we come together as a family, as, as the storytellers that we are, we can be telling the story of God's providences to us in the past. That's what's happening here. The servant is rehearsing God's providence to um, Rebecca's family. So rehearse God's providence. Sixth, rest in God's steadfast love. If there's a word that really leaps off the page throughout this account, it's the Hebrew word hesed. 
which is translated steadfast love. It's God's covenantal faithfulness. The servant is praying specifically, oh God, let me know that you have continued to show hesed or steadfast love to my, to my master Abraham by providing a wife. The burden, the concern is God that he would continue to show steadfast love. We can have the assurance of knowing that God has is and will always show steadfast love to his children. Benjamin Franklin famously said about taxes, the only thing that are certain in life are death and taxes, right? There's something that's even more certain than those. That's the steadfast love of the Lord. He will be faithful to his promises. That was bound up in his self-disclosure, the way in which he revealed himself in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation, which is just a way of saying forever. God will never cease to show steadfast love. We know that because the true seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ, in him, through faith in Christ, we are offspring of Abraham. But the true seed, singular, of Abraham is Jesus. And at just the right time in history, Jesus became man. And he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died the death that we deserve to die so that all the promises of God could be yes and amen through him for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the dead to certify, to prove through his resurrection that everything that he had said was true and to give a preview to us of what is to come. He ascended into heaven and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. We have the very spirit of God dwelling within us to remind us of certain things, certain ways in which we can be sure that God has fulfilled his promise, certain certain ways that we can be sure that God will not go back on his steadfast love. He's given us his spirit to assure us of our sonship. We've been adopted into God's family. He's given his spirit to help us understand the scripture. He's given us his spirit to pray for us. We have the opportunity because of what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have done, are doing, and will do forever. We have the opportunity to rest in his steadfast love. And then seventh and finally, go. Go. Go back in verse 52. 52 through 52. Eight. Let's just go to verse 55. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while. Verse 56, he said to them, do not delay me. Verse 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. You know who she sounds like there? Abraham. God called Abraham to go to a land that he did not know. And he went. And God called Rebecca to go to a land and to a husband that she did not know. And she went. She said, I will go. 
I don't know where God is calling you to go or what he's calling you to to move into in terms of faithful obedience to him. But don't make the mistake of thinking, unless I have a perfect sign in front of me, an assurance of clear sailing with no obstacles, and the assurance of success in all that I do, unless you, you know, reject that idea and instead be willing to go, to take risks, to go thinking through the things that matter. What has God promised me? And what has he not promised me? What has he revealed to me that I need to obey no matter what? Will I trust his guidance or will I lean on my own understanding? Will, will I employ godly wisdom or will I just go, you know, in the own limited wisdom that I have? Will I, as I go, rehearse God's providences to my own heart and people around me? As I go, will I go resting in God's steadfast love? But we are called to go. In the meantime, live. Live this day. Reject the lie that says that life is somewhere out there up ahead. Live right here today. This is the day that the Lord has made. This day. Not tomorrow. Not whenever your plans come to fruition. Whatever those plans may be. This is the day that the Lord has made. I love the song that we're about to sing. It's a, it's a brand new one. You haven't heard it, probably. Uh, City Light is the, uh, the group that wrote it and sings it. Whether the sun will shine, whether the skies will rain, I know that you are good and this is the day you made. Whether in life or death, whether in joy or pain, I know this truth remains, that this is the day you made. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift his name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then hear the confidence in God's providence in this next verse. Now I can walk in faith. You will protect my way. Your every work is good. And this is the day you made. I am a child of yours. You are the one who saves. I am redeemed by love. And this is the day you made. Because this is the Lord's day. We can sing with joy and with confidence, even as we move forward into a life that is unknown, taking risks, but doing so for God's glory and not our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great passage. We thank you for the the truth that's contained there. Lord, help us to be people who are willing to go forward, seeking to discern how it is that you are providing for us along the way. Also seeking to be people who look back and, and recollect to ourselves your goodness and your grace and all the ways that you have provided. Lord, help us to live this day, knowing that this day is the day that you have provided for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.